Hello, and welcome to episode 11 of Sam Splaining Science. I'm Sam. I'm your host. I'll be Sam Splaining the Science. Today, we're talking about masks. Let's get into it. Hi, friends. I hope you're doing well, and I hope that your week is off to a good start. Mine's been pretty good. Thanks for asking. Um, nothing major going on with me. Same old, same old. Sorry, I'm boring. Um, you probably already inferred that my life is boring because I started a podcast to talk about science, of all things. So, pretty boring. (laughs) Um... A few episodes ago, we talked about COVID, and I said, if anyone has any other COVID questions, let me know, and no one did, not a single person, but I don't care. I'm still going to talk about it. (laughs) Um, No, actually, one of my best friends did suggest that I talk about the CDC and how their messaging is all sorts of confusing, especially when it comes to these new mask guidance recommendations. Um, But honestly, throughout the pandemic, I think a lot of the messaging from the CDC has been sort of confusing. Um, Like, remember those memes? I don't even know how long ago this was. But the memes that were like, the CDC recommends you should now run with scissors. You know, like, it's a joke, but it's not really that funny, is it? Right? Because it's like, the Center for Disease Control of our country is the laughing stock of the internet. It's a little concerning. Um, so I wanted to use today's episode to talk about masks and to talk about the mask recommendations that have been changing at the local and at the federal level. Um Now that cases are on their way down from the monstrous Omicron peak that we saw around the holidays and into the new year, many places in the U.S. are starting to lift their masking requirements. Um, But the new CDC guidance has some people wondering, to mask or not to mask? That is the question. And that brings us to today's questions. That was a good segue. Um, Listen, I think I'm getting kind of good at this, Um, (laughs) but that brings us to today's questions um, that we will answer or try to answer, Um, and it'll kind of break up the episode into two parts. We have two questions today. The first question is, do masks work? Do masks? It's starting early. You know when you say a word so much and you're like, is that even a word? It's starting with the word mask. And I'm sorry. This was not my intention, but it's just what's going to happen. You're going to finish this episode and say, that's not even a word. And I'm going to agree with you. Um, anyway, the first question is, do masks work to prevent the spread of COVID-19? And how do they do that? The second question is, what does the CDC... this? <laughs> What does the CDC say? Sally sells she... Oh, man, I couldn't even do it one time. Sally sells... Sally sells seashells by the seashore. 
What does the CDC say about masks as of March 2022? That's the second question. So the first half of the episode, we'll talk about masks and how they work and how they prevent the spread of COVID-19. And then the second half of the episode, we'll talk about the CDC guidance as of March of 2022. And we will, without a doubt, continue to stammer and stumble over our words because it wouldn't be an episode of Sam's Planning Science if I didn't do that. Right? (laughs) Okay. To address the first question, um, I want to walk through two studies that I picked out. One is published in Science Advances and the other is published in the... I'm all up in my head about these stammers, Sam. Okay. The other is published in The Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, or PNAS. The first study we're going to cover is the one in Science Advances. It came out in 2020, and it's titled Low-Cost Measurement of Face Mask Efficacy for Filtering Expelled Droplets During Speech. I'm patting myself on the back because that was a mouthful. Um, So personally, I love this study as someone who uh, is a trained biomedical engineer um, because it's got some tech, it's got some technology and engineering, but it also uses this technology to study biology, um, which we love to see. So the researchers who organized this experiment aimed to see how different types of masks contained respiratory droplets. And for context, why they cared about that is because we know that SARS-CoV-2, or the Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus 2 virus, spreads through respiratory droplets or respiratory particles. So when a person breathes or talks or laughs or coughs, um respiratory droplets leave their mouth or nose, um, or both, and um, kind of go out into the air. If we can contain our respiratory droplets, we can prevent the spread of SARS-CoV-2 if we're infected with COVID. The whole idea of masks, really from the beginning, was the idea of source control, right? So Let's just say hypothetically, we are unknowingly infected with COVID, meaning that we are either asymptomatic or do not have symptoms as we're infected with COVID, or we're pre-symptomatic, which means that we don't have symptoms yet. Um, We can either be asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic and still be spreading SARS-CoV-2 virus um, through our respiratory droplets. So if we're wearing a mask, less of the droplets and less of the SARS-CoV-2 virus are leaving our mouths when we speak and going out into the air, um, which is potentially reducing the exposure that other people have to our SARS-CoV-2 infection. Um, But this study really aimed to measure exactly how well each type of mask prevents respiratory droplets from spraying throughout the air. So they tested 14 different masks, um, and I'm not going to list all of them, but a few of them were a fitted N95 mask, 
an N95 mask with an exhalation valve. So I don't know if you've seen those masks that have like a button on them that like makes exhaling easier, I guess. Um, a surgical mask, different types of cotton masks, like multi-layer cloth masks, um, a bandana and a neck gaiter. So they had one person put on each of these masks and they measured how many respiratory droplets were dispersed into the air as the person repeated the phrase, stay healthy people for 10 seconds. Um, I don't know if that's the inflection that they used. I wish they provided a video. I don't think they had a video in their supplement, but I would love to hear like how they said like stay healthy people. That's probably not how they sounded. Um, but that's the phrase that they repeated. Um, and they recorded them saying this and then counted how many respiratory particles came out of their mouths as they were wearing different types of masks as they were saying this. Um, they also did it with no mask to use as a control, uh, control like situation. So they did it without a mask and then with each of the 14 different types of masks. Um, but you might be asking, how did they measure the respiratory droplets? How did they count them? That's an excellent question. So they have this really cool optical setup. And it's basically a black box, a closed box. Um, so a box like six sides, a top, bottom, left, right, front, back. Um, the closed box had a laser shining from the left wall to the right wall. So like from side to side, um, the front wall of the box had a hole in it that someone spoke into directly. And then the back wall of the box had a camera. So when the person spoke into the front wall, into the hole in the front wall, the droplets that left their mouth, um, which are typically invisible to us, right? Like when, usually when we're talking to people, we don't see droplets coming from their mouth. Um, so I'm just thinking about, this is a niche memory and I'll, maybe I should cut this out. Remember that's so Raven with the, was it the principal who like spit every time he talked? Anyway, um, that's what I'm picturing. Cause I was like, oh, usually you don't see particles like flying from people's mouths when they talk. And then I was like, well, there was that one guy. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> was it that so Raven? I think it was. Um, anyway, so th the person speaks into the front of the box and as the normally invisible particles leave their mouth, they float across the laser beam and the laser uh, makes the particles visible because the particles make the laser light reflect, reflect, reflect is a fake science term. It's a combination of reflect. <sighs> I'm defeated today. I don't know what's wrong with me. It's a combination of reflect and refract. There it is. Um, just kidding. So the particles make the laser light refract, which then makes the particles visible. So that's how they're able to look at the respiratory particles. And then as they're recording with the camera on the other side, they can take still frames of the recording and count how many, um, 
respiratory particles there are as the person's talking. Um, the camera recorded for 10 seconds before the person started talking, and that was the baseline phase. And then it recorded during the entire 10 second speech phase when they're repeating the stay healthy people. And then it recorded for 10, 20 seconds immediately after the speech phase for an observation phase. So for 40 seconds total, the camera was rolling. Um, and they repeated this uh, multiple times for each mask to get sort of like an average measure of how many particles per mask. And then they repeated it for each of the 14 mask types that they studied. Um, I hope my Sam's explanation of the experimental setup made sense. But if it didn't, there is a picture in like the first figure of the citation um, for the science advance uh, article that kind of shows the setup of the box and the laser and the camera and the everything. So if you're curious and my words didn't paint a good enough picture, which I'm sure that they didn't, um, you can check it out at the source. So once they had all of these recordings for all the different mask types, they used a fancy computer program to count the number of droplets in each recording. And from this, they could also, in addition to counting the number of droplets, they can also get an idea of how big or small the droplets were. Um, they didn't get an exact measurement of droplet size, but they had a relative measurement. And that will come into play in a little bit. I mention it now, but it's there will be a callback, so don't forget it, okay? <laughs> um, so to quantify the amount of droplets that are expelled for each mask, they made an outcome measure that was basically the number of droplets that were expelled from the mouth while wearing a mask, and they divided that number by the number of droplets that were expelled from the mouth when they were not wearing a mask or in their control situation. So let's just say, if I'm not wearing a mask and I talk for 10 seconds, there's a thousand droplets in the air. Um, and then I put on a certain type of mask and they count a hundred droplets. Then this measure would be 100 divided by 1000 or 0 0.1 would be the measurement. And that's what they reported, that number for each type of mask. So for the results, let's get into the results. Um, this is one of, in my opinion, one of the, the coolest figures that I've seen um, in terms of like mask efficacy. Um, it's the third figure in the paper, if you're interested. And it basically just shows the droplet count, the relative droplet count, so like the number of droplets for each mask divided by no mask, um, and then it shows that for each of the 14 types. So they found that the fitted N95 mask released the least amount of droplet spread um, compared to the control. Um, so the outcome number, so the N95 divided by control, was less than 0.5, or about 5% on average. So in other words, the N95 mask blocked over 95% of the respiratory particles from spreading into the air, um, which is also kind of why they're named N95. Um, <laughs> they also found that surgical masks were also 
pretty good at preventing the spread of droplets, but they, the surgical masks were not as good as the N95 masks. Um, but they were still pretty good, about 90% 90, 90 blocking on average. Um, they also looked at a bunch of combination polyester, cotton, cloth masks. Those were all sort of intermediate. They were much better than no mask. They blocked about 70 to 85% of the droplets. Um, and interestingly, the N95 with the exhalation valve also blocked about 85% of the droplets, um, which is noticeably worse than the fitted N95, which suggests that the masks that have the exhalation valves are not as effective. Um, they're probably not the best option if we're talking about masks in terms of uh, controlling or containing, not controlling, um, using masks to contain respiratory droplets, the valved masks are probably not the best option. They also found that the bandana blocked only 50% of droplets, um, less than 50 actually. Um, but so, and also it was very variable across trials. So the bandana was not Great. Is it better than no mask? You can't see me, but I'm shrugging my shoulders. I'm going to say no. But I don't know. I think you could argue either way. I feel like bandana is okay if you forgot your mask at home and you need to like run into the bank or like do like a really, really quick errand. Just use a bandana really quick. But don't like go to a movie theater and sit there with a bandana, you know, because it's not very efficacious. Is that that word that I'm thinking of? Probably not. Okay, next one. <laughs> In dead last, the worst, um, the worst mask that they looked at was the neck gaiter. The neck gaiter actually had more particles released than any other mask and more than the control where the person wasn't even wearing a mask. So how could that be? The neck gaiter, is the neck gaiter causing more droplets to come out of someone's mouth? No. But what the researchers did notice is that the droplet size in the gaiter trials were much smaller compared to other trials. Um, and from that, they kind of hypothesized that maybe the material of the neck gaiter doesn't filter the droplets, but instead slices them up and lets them get past so that more smaller particles can disperse into, disperse through the gator into the air. So basically if there's one big respiratory droplet, it'll get sliced up into like two or three or four smaller droplets. Um, so it looks like there's more droplets based on like the camera counting, um, but it's probably just the same amount of virus, um, hypothetically speaking, if someone was infected. Um, so statistically, wearing a neck gaiter isn't helping any more than just not wearing a mask would. And it actually could be worse because... We're going to get into this. We're going to, we're going to jump in because it's kind of interesting in my opinion. And if you don't think it's interesting, sorry.
skip ahead. I get it. That's fine. Um, so when droplets are expelled from our mouths, they typically, with gravity, get pulled down to the ground. Um, but bigger droplets fall to the ground faster because they're heavier. Whereas smaller droplets take longer to fall. So they hang out in the air for a little bit longer. So if an infected person is wearing a neck gaiter, their droplets will be sliced and diced on their way right through the gaiter and then hang out in the air for longer, increasing any potential exposure because if it's like respiratory particles with SARS-CoV-2 virus in them, now these particles are hanging out in the air space for longer because they're lighter and they're not falling as fast. That could potentially infect more people because it more people could come into contact with those droplets. Um, and of course, this needs to be validated. This is not part of the study. They didn't calculate viral exposure or viral load or anything in this study. Um, but the takeaway from the study is that there are clearly much better alternatives to the neck gator. So maybe we should stop using those. <laughs> um, choose, you know, cloth mask, surgical mask, N95 if you can get it. Those are much more effective. Um, so that's the summary of the droplet spread across mask type. Another figure in this paper shows the collection of the droplets in the air over the 40 second period that the camera was recording, right? So I mentioned there was a 10 second baseline before the person started talking. Then there was the 10 second speech period. And then there was a 20 second observation period. So for a total of 40 seconds, um, looking at the droplets in the air over those 40 seconds. For each condition, for the control and for the different types of mask, the first 10 seconds of the baseline had relatively low droplet counts. But once the speaking began, the droplet rates increased. However, this increase was lower for the bandana mask than it was for no mask, right? So when there was no mask, the number of particles jumped up and it got really, really high, really quick. Um, the bandana got high, but not as quick as no mask. Um, but important to note that cotton masks and N95 masks were almost undetectable. Um, so this is just another way of showing that droplets are better contained with N95s and sorry, with N95s and cotton masks um, instead of like bandanas or with no mask at all. Just showing the efficacy of blocking the droplets from expelling out of your mouth into the air around you. So this study shows us, literally shows us with photo evidence, that wearing surgical masks or N95 masks or multi-layered cotton masks can help us keep most of our droplets to ourselves. So potentially preventing the spread of COVID or other viruses that spread through respiratory droplets. So that was the first study. Let's move on to the second study. Um, so the second study was published in 2021 in the journal PNAS. The, and it was titled an evidence review of face masks against COVID-19. This study also looked at 
you know, the efficacy of face masks, but instead of doing it in an experiment in a lab, um, they wrote a review paper which compiles evidence from multiple reports and papers and studies all into one spot. We love a review paper because it does all of the literature searching for us and it makes learning easy. Or at least I love review papers. Um, so they divide their review up into a few parts. Firstly, the authors outlined some background for mask wearing and they cited that mask wearing has been implemented for stopping airborne transmission during pandemics since the 13th century plague. Um... Dr. Wu Lin Tay designed a cotton mask that helped control the 1910 Manchurian Plague. In 1910. So, like, masks aren't new. It's not an original thought that we're dealing with here. Um, at many points in history, we've seen masks being implemented to stop airborne transmission, and they've worked, right? So, it shouldn't really be... A debated topic, I guess. Um, many areas of the world had still used face masks to control transmission of respiratory infections, right? Like during flu season or to prevent the spread of the common cold, even before the COVID-19 pandemic started. Like in current modern day, but like before the COVID-19 pandemic. So we know that masks work to prevent the spread of airborne respiratory viruses. Next, the authors summarize um, some, direct some direct evidence for the efficacy of public mask wearing. Um, they summarized a few studies, one of which focused on face masks for preventing transmission of SARS-CoV-2. Um, so in a study, I believe in Beijing, they looked at masks being worn in households and how that helped prevent transmission of SARS-CoV-2 throughout the household. And they found that when members of a household prior to symptom onset were wearing, were all wearing masks, the masks were 79% effective in preventing transmission throughout the household. Other studies have also looked at using masks, but they weren't specific to SARS-CoV-2. Um, so a lot of people argue that SARS-CoV-2 should be studied further. Um, but it's hard to do that. It's difficult to do because ethically we can't purposely expose people to COVID in the lab and then like see if they catch it or not. Uh, that's not really cool. So unfortunately, we have to rely on like real-world population-level results, um, which I think is one of the more frustrating things about living through a pandemic is like having the whole entire public experience science in real time. Um, science is always frustrating, but when everybody's witnessing it in real time, it's a little stressful. Um, but yeah, we still need to do more... SARS-CoV-2 specific studies when we look at masks, but we do know that SARS-CoV-2 is spread through respiratory particles, and we do know that masks prevent the spread of respiratory particles, so if A equals B and B equals C, A probably equals C, you know? Um, maybe. Probably. <laughs> 
All right. So that was like some background stuff. The authors then move on to discuss the effect of mask wearing in different like sub areas and different topics. They talk about like population impact, transmission characteristics, source control, wear protection, sociological considerations, and implementation considerations for mask wearing. For the sake of time today, I'm only going to talk about the transmission characteristics. Um, But if you have the time or the curiosity, I highly recommend checking out the source, Um, looking through the sections about like using masks to protect ourselves from getting infected and other considerations for implementing um, face mask wearing. It's a pretty interesting read. Okay. But we're going to focus on transmission characteristics. So kind of like I alluded to earlier, um, SARS-CoV-2 can and often does spread prior to symptom onset, so in pre-symptomatic people, or in asymptomatic people or people who aren't showing symptoms but are infected with COVID. Um, A recent study suggested that up to 45% of SARS-CoV-2 infections are asymptomatic, which is kind of crazy to me. Um, That seems like a lot. It's almost half, but um, pretty nuts. Typically, the pre-symptomatic incubation time for COVID, meaning the time between the day you are exposed and the day you show symptoms, is between 2 and 15 days. Um, But most people, or like, yeah, I guess most people experience symptoms by around day 5. Although this timeline has changed depending on different SARS-CoV-2 variants. So like, I think I read, I shouldn't be saying this because I don't have the exact source, but I'm pretty sure I remember reading that Omicron was like a little bit faster of an incubation time. Don't quote me on that. I don't have a source for that. Um, I shouldn't have even said it. Maybe I'll cut it out. Cut it out. Um, Maybe I won't. I don't know. (laughs) Depends on how lazy I am. Okay. Um, So SARS-CoV-2 viruses tend to attach, infect, and replicate in the cells of our upper respiratory tract. So when we breathe it in and it gets into our nose and our, you know, our throats and our lungs. And as the virus replicates in those cells that line our nose and our throat and our lungs, we can shed it or like... Totally agree. I absolutely agree. Um... So when the virus replicates, we can like shed it or like basically spread it through our respiratory particles. Studies have shown that the amount of virus that is released by infected adults is not significantly different from the amount of virus that is released by infected children, which suggests that adults and kids should be wearing masks to prevent the spread of SARS-CoV-2. Um, even though reports suggest that kids have milder symptoms, so maybe they are more resilient to the infection themselves, they still shed the virus, the same amount of virus when sick as infected adults. So they could spread it just as easily to another person as an adult can. So if we're using masks as source control, which 
we should be because um, we know that they prevent um, the spread of respiratory droplets from the previous study, then children should be wearing masks too to prevent the spread of SARS-CoV-2. Um, another topic that they discuss in this section is whether we should be thinking about the spread of SARS-CoV-2 as droplet transmission versus aerosol transmission. Um, what's the difference? I'm shrugging again. I don't know. Um, but I'm learning about it, and I'm learning that in the science community, it is quite a debate. It's a hot topic of debate in the science world. But in this paper, they define droplet versus aerosol based on size of the particle. So respiratory droplets are larger than respiratory aerosols. And the cutoff that they use is that an aerosol is less than five microns. A micron or a micrometer is one one thousandth of a millimeter. So just very, very, very small. Um, Droplets are larger respiratory particles. They typically expel from the mouth when you're breathing, talking, coughing, etc. And because they're larger, as I mentioned, they get pulled down with gravity um, to the ground, uh, following what's called a ballistic trajectory down to the ground relatively quickly. Um, aerosols, however, are smaller, and they don't really follow this ballistic trajectory. They more sort of float around in the air, and they remain suspended in air for longer because they're not as large, so they don't get pulled down by gravity as quickly. Um, respiratory particles can range in size. So some can be one micron, so they would be an aerosol, and some can be as big as 500 microns, which would be considered a droplet. Larger droplets with water in the droplet can become smaller as the water in the droplet evaporates. So potentially, if you have a droplet that's, you know, 10 microns, and then with, you know, the water in the droplet evaporates, the droplet could become smaller and become an aerosol with time. And then aerosols float in the air for longer, around 10 minutes or maybe more. And that is long enough time for them to be inhaled by another person that you're talking to. So if I'm infected and I'm talking to someone, my droplets and my aerosols float in the air for 10 minutes or more. And if the person that I'm talking to inhales them, then the virus particles will get into their upper respiratory tract and infect them. That's how transmission works. If I'm wearing a mask less of the droplets will be expelled from my mouth into the surrounding air. They'll get stopped by the mask. Um, and then potentially less of the virus will be in the air for the person that I'm talking to to breathe in, and that will prevent them from getting infected. Um, a caveat to this is that, kind of like I mentioned already, more studies have to be done to make specific conclusions about SARS-CoV-2, um, but most of these studies talking about masks have used models of influenza and other similar respiratory viruses that act very similarly to SARS-CoV-2 in their analyses. So 
again, if A equals B and B equals C, A probably equals C. Um, but, you know, it's always good to do more studies to make sure. That's what science is all about, isn't it? Replication, replication, replication. Um, but yeah, so the, I guess the conclusion from this portion of the review paper was that because particles lose their momentum and they become smaller shortly after they're ejected from the mouth, the authors say that masks um, are beneficial when an infected person wears them and potentially are more beneficial when an infected person wears them compared to um, when we're wearing them to protect ourselves. In other words, source control with a mask is better um, than using a mask for preventative measures, if that makes sense. Hopefully it does. Um, all right, so that's the end of the first half of the episode. This is a long episode. My God. You're probably like, Sam, shut up. And you know what? I agree. I totally agree. Um, all right. But now that we've seen that masks prevent the spread of SARS-CoV-2, um, or rather they prevent the spread of respiratory particles that can potentially carry SARS-CoV-2, um, we understand how they do this. Let's get into the second question uh, for today's episode, which is, which is, what is the deal with masks? What's going on? What's happening with masks today? Should I mask? To mask or not to mask? That is the question. Um, that's what I named this episode. But now I'm... Mm, am I regretting that? No. I was going to make a should I say or should I go reference, but that's not the reference that I made. It was a Shakespeare reference. And maybe that was not the best choice, but... Oh, well. Am I stalling because I need to change tabs and my tab isn't loading? Yes. Am I going to edit it out? No. Deal with it. Um, <laughs> all right. So for this part of the episode, I want to walk through the new CDC updates to mask guidance and information that they posted um, as of March 10th, 2022. Um, although one of the pages said February 25th, 2022. So within the last three weeks or so. Um, okay. I shared a few direct links to the CDC guidelines that I'm talking about in the sources below. So check them out if you're interested. I always say that. Check them out if you're interested. What I mean by that is you better be checking them out. You're going to take my word for it. My dumb idiot brain, you're going to believe me? Good luck with that. Um, <laughs> one of the sources that I linked below shows you um, like the COVID status where you are. So you enter your county or your zip code or whatever, and it tells you what level your region is at as far as like COVID risk. Um, so definitely check that one out. And keep checking it regularly to stay informed and make the decisions that are most appropriate for you and for your risk. Okay. So let's dive in. The new CDC 
guidance, the way that they approach the mask guidance is now based on COVID-19 community level um, in different counties in the U.S. So there are different levels that I will walk through. Each of the levels are defined and sort of stratified based on number of COVID cases and then also by hospitalization measures. So for each level, I'll kind of talk about the cutoff levels for each of those measures um, and then also talk about whether we need to put cloths over our face or not when we're in one of these levels. So the first level... The lowest level is called low. It is also signified by the color, signified, no, designated. That's probably the right word. It's designated by the color green, which happens to be my favorite color. Um, so in green areas, it means that there are less than 200 new COVID cases per 100,000 people in the population over the last seven days. And then in terms of hospitalizations, the county must have less than 10 new COVID hospitalization admissions per 100,000 people over the last seven days and have less than 10% of hospital beds occupied. So in other words, over 90% of the hospital beds that are available in that county should be open. In low areas, you should wear a mask based on your personal preference that is informed by your personal level of risk. That is a direct quote from the CDC. So basically what they're telling you is you're on your own, babe. Figure it out, right? But essentially what you should be doing is doing your own analysis of your own risk, right? Are you vaccinated? Are you boosted? Are you immunocompromised? Do you work closely with the vulnerable populations of the immunocompromised, of the elderly, of young children who are not vaccinated yet? If you are or have a higher risk, in these cases, mask wearing might be beneficial for keeping you healthy and keeping those around you healthy. So that's the green level, the low level. Next level up is medium designated by the color yellow. Um, an area is in the yellow if there's fewer than 200 COVID infections per 100,000, and there's between 10 and 20 new hospitalizations per 100,000 population, and between 10 and 15% of hospital beds that are being occupied by COVID-19 patients. If there's more than 200 COVID infections per 100,000 in the county, the cutoffs are different for medium versus high level. So in order to be considered medium level risk, if you have 200 or more new COVID cases per 100,000 people in the last seven days, to be medium, you need to have no more than 10 new hospitalizations per 100K and no more than 10% of hospital beds occupied. So that's what kind of qualifies a region, a county, to be medium level. In medium areas, you should wear a mask if you are at risk for severe illness. So if you are immunocompromised, if you are elderly, if you are disabled, um, 
Also, if you live with or have very close contact with someone who is at risk for severe COVID, so if you're working with the immunocompromised or you're working with the elderly, you should wear a mask when you're around them, and you should also test yourself before seeing them if you're living in a yellow or a medium level region. So in these cases, essentially community transmission is a little bit higher. There's starting to become a burden on the hospital system. So those additional safeguards of wearing masks and testing might benefit you um, and those around you. So you should consider doing them. The final level is high and that's designated by the color orange. For this level, if a county has fewer than 200 COVID cases per 100,000 people and there's over 20 new hospitalizations per 100,000 people and there's more than 15% of hospital beds occupied, then you that county, that region is considered a high level. A county can also be considered high level if the daily COVID cases are more than 2,000, sorry, more than 200 per 100,000 over the past seven days. And again, these cutoffs are different um, if there's more than 200 COVID cases. With more than 10 new hospitalizations over the past seven days and more than 10% of hospital beds being occupied, that would be considered a high-level county, a high-level region. So in high-level COVID or high COVID-19 community-level areas, when your county is in a high level, everyone needs to wear a mask, a well-fitting mask, in indoor spaces, regardless of vaccination status. Um, if you yourself are immunocompromised or at risk, then you should be wearing a respirator or a high-quality N95 mask that will provide you with greater protection. So these are the different levels, low, medium, high. They're defined and stratified based on case number and on hospitalization by county. As I mentioned, um, for the medium and high levels, the percentages and cutoffs were different depending on the case numbers, where there's like a lower tolerance um, for regions that have over 200 uh, cases per 100,000 people. This is primarily, I think, to focus on clinical burden. Um, so we know that getting vaccinated and getting boosted protects people from developing serious COVID that would require hospitalization and might result in death. Um, if there's interest, I can do an episode about vaccination, but that is the scientific consensus that vaccines are safe and effective at preventing death from COVID-19 and severe COVID-19. Um, however, the vaccine does not completely protect against infection. So in an area with high vaccination rates, lots of people can have COVID, but not as many people will go to the hospital because if they have COVID, but they're, they're vaccinated, then they're probably not going to go to the hospital. So the hospitalization rates won't be as high, which means that they won't be a high level. They're more likely to be a medium level if you know the vaccines still protect us from hospitalization. Um, and that's, again, just to kind of put it in perspective of the demand of our healthcare systems. If we're in an area where not many people are vaccinated, 
if there's more than 200 people per 100,000 getting COVID, there's going to be a much higher likelihood that our hospitals will be burdened more because if they're not vaccinated, there's higher incidences of severe COVID that requires hospitalization. And then with that, there's a much higher risk of overwhelming our hospitals and overwhelming our healthcare workers. So this, I understand that like these cutoffs seem sort of strange and arbitrary. And it's like, why would they stratify it this way? But I think, I don't work for the CDC, but from my understanding and the way that I'm interpreting this data, they're really putting this in the perspective of like, how is the transmission of COVID-19 affecting our hospitals and not necessarily how is it affecting people, right? So lots of people can get affected with COVID, but if they're not going to the hospital, then they won't, you know, have shutdowns and they won't enforce mask mandates. And I mean, this is very debatable. Um, I've heard a lot of critiques on these guidelines. Um, But from my understanding, this is how the CDC is approaching it. But yeah, I mean, I guess I understand why people find the CDC guidelines confusing. Um, But I think one thing that we can remember is that we use masks as a way of controlling the source, right? Containing the source to stop transmission. So when transmission stops, we don't need masks, right? Because we don't have to stop it anymore if it's stopped. Of course, as of right now in the world that we live in, transmission hasn't stopped. COVID cases, to my knowledge, are not zero. Um, But the way that the CDC sees it, the way that the CDC sees it, that was, yeah, okay, I said that right. Um, If transmission is low enough, the odds or the likelihood of infection and thus transmission of COVID are low enough where masks aren't mandatory. But you can and should still wear one if you so choose. That's kind of what the CDC is saying. And if it sounds a little defeated, it's probably because it is a little defeated. I don't know. I'm not an expert. I don't really want to give my opinion on this. I'm just trying to Sam explain it to you. Um, but like I said, in the sources of this episode, there will be links to uh, the CDC website, one where I'm reading like the uh, different levels and the definition of the different levels, one where I'm reading the guidance and one where it's like interactive map and you can like put in your county and it'll tell you what level your county's at. Um, so you should check those out. Um, so yeah, that's the end of the second question. I think before I close out this episode, I do want to end it with like a stream of consciousness. Um, there are a lot of things that I'm thinking about when it comes to COVID-19 and SARS-CoV-2 transmission. Um, particularly there are still vulnerable populations, including young kids under five years old, including the immunocompromised, including the elderly and the disabled, there's still vulnerable populations who are at risk for severe COVID-19. And the main takeaway that I have is that no matter whether you're old, whether you're a baby, 
Shout out to all the babies listening to this. Um, no matter whether you're immunocompromised or you live with someone who's immunocompromised, maybe you don't fit in, into any of those classifications. The point that I take away from this is that masks work to contain respiratory particles that might contain COVID-19 virus or SARS-CoV-2 virus. And this is also regardless of any new SARS-CoV-2 variants that arise, right? Masks worked for the parent strain of SARS-CoV-2. Masks worked for Alpha and Delta and Omicron. Regardless of any weird new variants that might pop up, we know that masks work because they stop the transmission of SARS-CoV-2, because they stop respiratory respiratory particles from spreading through the air. We know that they work. So, I don't know. That's just something that I'm going to stick to. I know that it works, so, and I know that it'll potentially protect people who are still vulnerable to severe COVID infection. So what, Sam? So I'm still going to wear my mask, um, even though restrictions are lifting where the, where I am. I'll still be wearing my mask when I go food shopping, when I go on the subway, although I think I still have to anyway on the subway, but... Maybe I won't wear it in my office that I share with two other people. Um, Maybe I won't wear it when I'm hanging out with my friends or family who are vaccinated and boosted and are not particularly vulnerable. Um, But I will be wearing it when I go to a concert surrounded by hundreds of strangers. Um, Because to me, the cost of having a piece of cloth on my face is absolutely worth potentially stopping the spread of COVID and other respiratory diseases, potentially saving someone else's life or my own. That's worth it to me. The mask is worth the benefit of keeping those around me and myself safe. And your risk benefit analysis might be different and that's okay, right? Because you're not me and I'm not you. That's what the CDC is saying. You need to do your own risk analysis and determine what is the best course of action for you. But I encourage you to stay informed with reliable sources like the ones from the CDC that keep you updated on COVID in your area. Um, Also, now that testing isn't a pain to access, uh, you should be testing regularly. Go to covidtest.gov to get free COVID tests for your household, if you haven't already. Um, Not sponsored. (laughs) Not sponsored, just really care about stopping the spread of COVID. Um, But yeah, check the COVID levels in your area. Um, Consider those that you come into contact with regularly and if they are vulnerable. Uh, Test regularly. Stay at home if you feel sick. Just make smart decisions, you know, decisions that are based on fact, not fear. All right, I'm going to shut up now because I've been rambling for way too long. Um, But yeah, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever you're listening. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at SamSplainingSci. Keep in touch there and you can ask questions as well. You can also submit questions at samsplainingscience.com slash ask. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you learned a little bit and laughed a little bit, and I will talk to you next week.
บาย